Okay, everyone, good evening. Thanks for coming. Um, just a few really good announcements before we begin. Number one, tomorrow night, everyone is welcome to come join us to Simply Tzvat. Uh, here at Mayon, it's going to be a fantastic evening of joy and celebration. Tomorrow night, here at Mayon, I think at 8 o'clock, uh, come bring friends. Let's celebrate uh, just because Mashiach is coming. So that's a great, great joy, a preparation for the month of Ador. Thanks uh, for those that are coming, for those who are sponsored, those who are part of it. It's going to be really, really great. Another thing I want to announce is Sunday morning is going to be Rosh Chodesh, Ador. So we're having over here a very great Rosh Chodesh davening. This is for men. Um, we have uh, Rosh Chodesh, and as we've done in the past, if you've seen those videos, they're Awesome. It's unbelievable. We have Rosh Chodesh uh, with uh, Hallel is being sung by Moishi Storch and there's guitars and bongos and it's, 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 it lifts you to a whole different place. So I want to invite everyone to come join this Sunday morning followed by a breakfast. Beginning at 8 o'clock is davening. About 8.45 will be Hallel and then later will be breakfast. So everybody please come. Rosh Chodesh morning. We need a sponsor for this. Anybody that's interested in has a yard site or something on Sunday or around Sunday, if you'd like to sponsor this very special Rosh Chodesh event, uh, please let us know at the office. Another thing I want to put out there, in two weeks from now, on March 3rd through March 5th, it's not two weeks, it's next week Shabbos, I'm going to be doing a Shabbaton in Lake Tahoe. Not, it's, not, it, it's not Mayan Yisrael's event, I'm just a scholar in residence for this Shabbos. Uh, I just want to announce it. So if anybody wants to come join me. So Lake Tahoe is magnificent. Now with all the snow that was going on, it must be spectacularly beautiful. Uh, it's going to be a really, really great Shabbos, and I'd love to see. Uh, have some of my uh, uh, listeners from, from here in L.A. or wherever you are to come join us for Shabbos. It's going to be really, really fantastic. From March 3rd through March 5th, um, you can look up Chabad of Lake Tahoe in order to get more information and make a reservation. Um, thank you. Um, uh, one more very, very important announcement. This Sunday, we are going to have a very special beginning Sunday afternoon, and I really, really need everyone's help. This Sunday afternoon at about 3 o'clock, we're going to have a great, our annual Started last year, but hopefully it's going to be annual. Our annual crowdfunding fundraiser. What that means is that we're giving everybody an opportunity to help Mayon um, do its holy work and to grow and to expand and to continue to bring you these magnificent um, classes and inspirational events and all the things that we do all the time. We can't do it without your partnership, without your help. And here I know there are so many of you that I never met. You listen to the classes on CDs, online, through the app, through the podcast, um, all the various different ways on Facebook, all the different channels in which the classes are getting out. Baruch Hashem. Um, here's a chance to help us. Mayan wants to raise this Sunday 200000 as our bulk um, of the monies we need here to operate uh, the rest of the monies come as a result of all of you 
sponsoring all the time the classes, but that doesn't cover even half of what we need. So this is very, very important to us. Every dollar you will give will be quadrupled four times. It's only a 24-hour. And remember, for us, it's all or nothing. So we need you to uh, help us raise those 200000 starting this Sunday. And we need, in addition to, please, when you receive those notices on emails, WhatsApps, um, um, whatever other way uh, it might get to you, please be so kind. Pass it on. You can do such a big mitzvah. It's all about reaching lots of people, and uh, you can help us tremendously. And every little bit you give makes such a big difference. So beware, this Sunday, Sunday, it's Rosh Chodesh Adar, Mishnechles Adar, Marben Besimcha, breaking out of boundaries. The name of the campaign this time is Go Beyond. We want to go beyond, we want to double what we did last year. Last year we did a, 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 our ambitions were 100,000 this year. It's 200,000. I really, really, really would like to have everyone to please participate and help. I need, we need over here at Mayon volunteers who would want to join us. It's going to be a really happening room over here Sunday night and, and Monday in which we need people to help volunteers with phone calls, getting the word out. If you can do that, please notify the office. It would be very, very big schuss. Now, last but not least, we haven't, it's a last minute thing that we're putting together. And we thank God, you know, the way it works is that we have matchers who match people that are donating bigger money to help boost this. And uh, every dollar you give gets matched three times. Now, we've secured already two matchers to match, but we haven't secured the third group of matchers. And we need people who are willing to extend themselves beyond in a big way. So if you're listening, I might not know you, and I'm shy, and I don't like to fundraise. I hate it, as you know already from earlier classes. So, um, but we have no choice if we want to continue doing our holy, wonderful, good work. So if you are someone listening to this year, and you have the ability to help us in a bigger way, and you want to appreciate the work that we're doing, we still need to put together a serious chunk of money to serve as the third group of matchers. So if you can, and I'll be straight up, people who can make a commitment over the next year for 5000 and up. That's what I'm looking for for this. Less than that is appreciated tremendously, but that will help us on the day of, if you will make your contribution on the day of the campaign. What we need now is a group of people that will come together to put up the money for, to inspire everybody else to give, and we need from 5000 and up, if you know anybody. Now, two things. If you yourself can do so, please don't be shy reach out to the office or please call me. Or if you know someone that you would like to, uh, in, uh, maybe perhaps can be approached for this, please, please, please let me know. Don't assume that I have it. We don't have it yet. I know it's going to happen because we have big miracles and therefore the campaign is happening. Uh, even though at this moment I'm still looking up to heaven and saying, God, wherever their help will come. But I hope it will come and I know it will come. So, Someone, you might be our miracle. If you're listening, you might be our miracle. Okay, that being said, now to the dedications of today. We have four wonderful dedications. A dear friend, Felix Medvedev, who is the distributor of the CDs and all the shuls in the La Brea area. Um, it's, he's dedicating him. Uh, he is him and his wife, Nachama Medvedev, are dedicating this year in honor of Nachama's father, father's yurtzeit, Oscar ben Michael the 25th of Shvat, 
which is tonight. So may this be a great Aliyah's Neshama for him. May he channel lots of blessings to you and to your family for all that you need and all that you want in the spiritual and the material. A Parnassan, only, only good. Thanks so much for your distribution of these CDs weekly, week in and week out. It's so appreciated. And for this um, uh, dedication. Another dedication tonight was by our dear friend Velvel Tzikman. And this is in honor of his mother, Dina Rezel, Bas Rabbi Yitzhak Aaron, whose yard site is also tonight. May her neshama have the greatest aliyah. And Velvel, to you and your mishpacha, much bracha, begashmes, in the material and in the spiritual. Banachayim, Zaina, and all of them in great abundance. Thank you so much. Another dedication was by Nahid Bral, who's here now at the Shir. This is in honor of her mother's yard site. It's going to be tomorrow night. Ya'el Bas Yitzchak on the 26th of Shvat. May her neshama have the greatest aliyah to the greatest of heights. Channel lots of blessings to you for all that you need and all that you want. May Hashem fulfill all of your heart desires in a good, open, revealed way. Um, last but not least, the dedication of the CD this week was by our dear friend Rabbi Naftali Astulin. This is in honor of his mother's yard site also tomorrow night. Rezel Bas Reb Chaim Avram. May her neshama have a very great aliyah. I mentioned the story last year, but it's such a beautiful story and I want to re- quickly say it again. He told me the story and it's very meaningful to me particularly. He told me his mother in, the, in 1940, in the early 1940s, yeah, sort of at the beginning of the Second World War, before it came to Russia, his mother was an older girl, she couldn't find a shidduch. Those who were not willing to work on Shabbos in Russia, of course, uh, couldn't find jobs. And they were, they were mamish poor, like we can't even imagine. And no one would marry her. And she was looking f- to find a real, serious uh, Yerushalayim, a God-fearing uh, bacher, someone who studies and learns, and a chassidish bacher, someone who's filled with the light of chassidus and... She was looking for to find, and there was no one. There was no one even to turn to. She got so frustrated. She traveled all the way from Moscow. She traveled across the border to the Ukraine and went to Mezhubush herself. Amazing. Think herself. And she went to the Balshemtov. She, who's she going to turn to? She decided to turn to ask the Balshemtov for help. Now, this is way back then. Today's days, the Balshemtov's caver is already built up. There's a hotel there. We were there last year, and there's food, and there's. It's well, well, you know, you go there, you can, you can travel in style and in comfort. But she stood outside in the midst of the winter, freezing cold. She cried by the Balshemto's grave for an entire day. She stood weeping and crying, just begging and pleading, please help me find my soulmate. Then she came back, and as soon as she came back, they had, someone had suggested a shidduch for her. And Rabbi Yastulin's father it was known, is known, I mean, in Eretz Yisrael, a person who was familiar with the entire Shas, Bavli Yerushalmi, someone who knew, like he was a Goyen, Adir, a genius of geniuses. Reb Zalman Leibastulin was a phenomenal person. And um, he, was a, he was a very big, tall, uh, physically tall and built, but he was very, very absent-minded because his whole entire day, his mind was just thinking and learning. So he was very not here, he was very up there. And so she asked where she can see him. They said, go to the shul. So she went to the shul, and she was in the ladies' section, and he was going to sit. He sat and learned there in the Moscow shul all day long. He was such a big guy that he came, and because he was so, in his mind, he was so um, uh, deeply in thought, he suffered a terrible injury during the war. He went out 
during the Second World War. He was in the war, and he um, uh, suffered a very big injury, and then he was um, uh, uh, needed to be, I think, in a wheelchair the rest of his life. But before this, right? So he he walked into the shul, and he walked in with such a bang, and he like almost took the two doors off when he walked in, because <laughs> he was thinking he was wasn't there. She's looking from the ladies section, and they showed her this is the guy. And then in the end it happened. She said, "Well, I davened, I davened, but not, <laughs> but I didn't expect such a such a big blessing." So the blessing came much bigger than she had thought. In, in, in physically and spiritually, it was like on a whole different level. So that's what he tells me. Such a big blessing. So may her neshama have a great aliyah. May we all get much bigger blessings than we expect. Everyone. And all that we need. Much, much bigger. Our minds can't even fathom the great, great blessings. Okay, after all that has been said and done, we're ready to begin our class. A parshas mishpatim, fascinating parsha. It's got all the laws for most people. You give up when it comes to this parsha because it gets so difficult, hard, learning this, unless you're a Gemara cup. So I'm going to avoid all that Gemara stuff today, and we're going to go straight into the spiritual part of the parsha. In the end of the parsha, um, not that we've avoided it, you know, we've learned many classes in the past about exploring the various different halachas of Parshas Mishpatim. Uh, not that I want to avoid that. I'm just saying that today we're going to go to a, in the end of Parshas Mishpatim, God is telling the Jewish people what kind of wonderful things He's going to do for them if they keep the mitzvahs. Um, and it says like this, this is in Perak of Gimel, chapter 23, um, Pasuk Chav verse 25. It says you should, when you go into the land of Israel, you should destroy all the idols that are there, don't follow the, what the nations have set up over there and the like. Then it says, but you should serve your God. You should serve God. And He will bless your bread, and your water. And then it says, I will remove an illness from amongst you. That's the passage. Again, serve God your God. He will bless your bread and your water. I will remove a illness from amongst you. The next pasuk, pasuk chavav, shvi, seventh aliyah, loisia, there will not be mishakela. Mishakela means a woman who loses her children. Either uh, the children are, um, either she miscarries, miscarries, so she can't have children, or I mean, she's, every time she becomes pregnant, she loses the child, very sadly. That's called a mishakela, a woman who can't, or even if the children are born, if the children are born and then they die very young, the mother is called Mishakela. So the Torah says, there will not be a Mishakela amongst you. Va'akara and a barren woman, a woman who can ha- wouldn't have any children in the first place. Va'artzecha in your land. Then it says, as mispar yamecha, the days, the number of your days, amale, I will fill. Okay, so now my question is, a couple of questions. Well, simply, what does it mean? So first of all, it says there won't be any, meaning you'll have healthy children, number one. Number two, you will live a long life. The number of your days I will fill, meaning the life won't be cut short. Chas v'shalom. Fine. I want to go back to ask a few questions over here on these two psukim. First of all, it says you should serve God your God. What is the real meaning in that? Serving. Ser- serving God means you're doing a service for Him. If I'm serving someone, that means as a result of what I am doing, a service is being done. Now a service is only being done for someone if they need that what you're doing for them. That's called a service. 
So if I need something to be done and I have a problem, what's my problem? Either I cannot do it, some things I can't do, right? I mean, we all have things we can't do. So for me, it's like putting in a, you know, a new uh, uh, door handle, right? I have to call a major carpenter to take, it, take care of that. Um, people, some people are handy, they can do all these things. I mean, every little thing I can't do. In any case, um, so if you can't do something, then someone can do it for you. That's great. The other thing is, even if you could do it, but if you're busy doing other things, right? If you're busy doing other things, and therefore you need someone to do that for you. The question is, is there anything that God can't do that He needs it to be done for Him? Obviously, God can't, you can't say on Hashem that there's something that He can't do. So, or you can't say that He's too busy with other things and He can't afford to do that, and therefore we need to do it for Him. So, what does it mean to serve Him, do a service for Him? What's the service we can do for Him if He doesn't need anything? That's the question. Okay? The other question over here is it says, I will remove an illness in the singular. What does it mean I will remove an illness in the singular implying one illness? Now sadly the world has been plagued with many illnesses. And every day we hear Nebuch, you know, people suffering, all kinds. Hashem Yishmerenu, Hashem should help. So, but God says, I will remove one illness. If anything, He should remove all illnesses. What's the if? I will heal you from all illnesses. Like it says two weeks ago in the parasha, Parshas B'Shalach, it says, Kol ha-machla, all illnesses that I have placed on Egypt, I will not put upon you. That's Abracha. The fact that He says He will remove one illness? What's this illness that He's referring to? It almost seems like it's saying that I will remove the root of all illness from amongst you. So what is that? What is it referring to? It's the one illness that's the source of all illnesses. That's why it says it in the singular. But what is that? The word also says, Mikir Becha, from inside of you. Seeming to imply that whatever illness we're talking about, it's something that is rooted very, very deep inside of us, and only God can remove it. And we're asking, and Hashem says, He will bless us if we serve Him, whatever service means. Whatever it means to serve Him, if we serve Him, He will remove that illness. Then it continues, we said earlier, there will not be a mashakela va'akara, okay? Women who lose their children, either because they can't have any children, or they lose their children, miscarrying, children die young. It says, be'artzecha in your land. Why does it relate it to your land? The land is not where the children are happening. The, hap- the children are in the women. It should say, there will not be mashakela va'akara, bibnai secha, Amongst your daughters, amongst your neshecha, amongst your wives, amongst your, right, the women. Amongst you, it's the people that are the mothering the children. And over there, giving a blessing that the women should not lose children. What does he mean? Why is it associating this with the land? It would make sense to say that there will not be a famine in the land. Something relating to the land won't be. There won't be a drought in the land. But there won't be a meshakel and akara is something related to people, not to land. So why does it emphasize Baratzecha in your land? The other thing it says, the, I will give you a long life. How does the Torah say it? The number of your days I will fill. What does exactly that mean? The number of your days I will fill. It would seem to imply, there is the number of your days, what you were supposed to live. That's the number of your days. Every person has been given a certain amount of life. So simply it means, Amali, I will fill them, which means, God forbid, I won't cut someone's life off short. That means they didn't end up living the number they were supposed to live. But that's not, 
That's not a big blessing. That's a removing a curse. Because if you're supposed to live a certain time and chas v'shalom, God is taking away those days, that's, that's a negative. Here it seems like God wants to give us a blessing, positive things. So what does it mean? The number of your days I will fill. Does it mean that I will give you a normal lifespan? But then in your... Well, that's a smispar yamecha. That's the, the number. What is the amale I will fill? In seeming like there is something called the number of your days, and it's possible for them not to be filled. But what does that mean? And Hashem says, I will fill them. If He just wants to say, I will give you a long life, He should say exactly that. You will live a long life. Like it says last week in the parsha, by Kiba Dava'im, that if you honor your parents, Laman was the worst the words over there, Laman Taru. We say it in Krishna also. Uh, I, remember, I don't remember the terms of Sarasadibis right now. I'm not recalling it. But the words over there is so that you will live long. Say, say it that way. What's this? I will fill your days. So to understand all of this, we need to go deeper. Okay? So what, what I would like to share with you today is a Hasidic discourse from Abshinir Zalman of Liyadi, the Alter Rebbe, known as the Balatanya, the author of the Tanya, in a discourse in this week's parasha in Torah or awesome. Such a fiery discourse and such an eye opener, such an important discourse. And I'm going to share, of course, we've studied this a couple of years ago on a Thursday night. You can listen to the long discourse the way we studied it then, probably a three hour class. I'd like to do a short synopsis on, the, on, that, on that discourse, which he tackles and he answers all these questions, not by giving you another pshat, but by opening up the verse for you to see it on such a deeper inner light shining in these words. So to understand this, let's understand one thing. Judaism is not a religion. It's a religion too, in the sense that, but that's not what it's meant to be, a religion. It's also not a self-help program where you, know, where you work on bettering yourself or being living the best life you can live. It's that too, but that's not what it is meant to be. Judaism is a relationship with God. Judaism is a marriage. God chose one woman to get married to. And that is the Jewish people. And he instructs us on what he likes and what he dislikes in order for him to be in a relationship with us. A husband and a wife get accustomed once they live with each other for a couple of months that there are certain things she likes, he likes, certain things that really, really irk him it takes a while sometimes to learn. Oops, I know forever, ever I shouldn't say that. That's something that drives my wife crazy. I will never say that again. So you learn, right? Certain things she likes, certain things she doesn't like, certain things he likes, doesn't like, the foods they like, the, the, the word, whatever. Different things you know. Right? You're married to someone, you're familiar. The Torah tells us what it is in our lives. How, what are the things God likes, loves so that he can feel comfortable living with us as a husband and wife. We are his wife, he's our husband, that's what Shira Shirim is all about, the Song of Songs, talking about that marriage. Now, in a marriage, there has to be emotion. Uh, a, 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 a marriage is not just a union between two individuals in which they commit to certain behavior patterns, in which they tolerate each other, live as roommates. That's not a marriage. A marriage is a deep union of man and woman, in which they're deeply connecting to each other, uh, physically, emotionally, and spiritually, in which the two of them forge a deep bond, and they experience 
powerful feelings for each other. You choose to live your life with this person and to really, really, really experience the richness of the emotion of love. And it has also an element of love and fear as well, not a negative fear, but if you're in a relationship, there is an idea that you fear to upset your partner. You're upsetting, you don't want to lose the love. If you really, really cherish someone, you really, really dislike when they're upset about you and when they're frustrated with you, so you fear. So in our relationship with God, some people are worried, what does it mean to fear God? And fear. Fear is fearing the, the, that you will lose chas v'shalem, God's, God's love. You want to be in God's love because God is your husband. God is the love of your life. So that's what Yiddishkeit is, is at its core. That's what it's meant to be. A marriage, a union. And very, very sadly, as a result of 2,000 years of exile, um, our Jewish experience is dramatically reduced to what people call practicing Judaism. That is very, 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 very stale and very boring. And Judaism has never been meant to be practiced. And if there's practicing Judaism, that's horrible. But that sadly is, and it's not that much our fault. Our husband hasn't been home for 2,000 years. What do you expect is going to happen after a while? But we still remember we're married and we still do the chores that we need to do for each other. But the real soul of it, I mean, we probably experience not even a point zero 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 of event one, whatever, of what the richness of, a, of, of Jewish life. Jewish life really means, as we said earlier, to experience the thrill, the pleasure, the ecstasy, the unbelievable delight and experience of, experience of being intimate with God, literally, having an intimacy with the infinite, with God. We are the envy of all the nations. Because God came down on the mountain and He proposed. He said, will you marry me? And we said yes. And we got married. And it's not just people think metaphorically we got married. Literally. Quite on the contrary. Our marriages that we have in the human form is a metaphor for the relationship that each and every one has with God. That's the true marriage. It's the real, real marriage. And therefore Yiddishkeit is supposed to be intense, powerful, extreme emotions, every day in prayer, if we would only tap in and be alive as Jews, if our souls would only be alive, we would truly experience intense passion, fervor, longing, and thrill, and pleasure, and delight. Once our neshama touches the Ein Sof, do you have any idea, I mean, I don't because I've never felt it, but it's described, of what kind of thrill and, and, and pleasure that is. Unbelievable. Now, why are we talking about this? If we're anyways not going to feel this, the answer is because Mashiach is about to come. And we have to stop practicing and start living Judaism. And therefore, Hasidus, from the Balshem and onward, brought us back into the inner experience of Judaism. And even though it's easy to say, of course, eh, we're just hardened, our hearts are hard and cold and insensitive, forget about feeling, you'll never feel, just do. Of course, it's easy to say that. But on the other hand, we have to realize that if we put in effort and recognized what is possible, what is possible in, 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 in Judaism, the depth of emotion and feeling that's possible, we could feel. We could feel something. We can at least, let's put it this way, we can at least make an attempt and try, and since we're so close to Mashiach, you never know. Your soul might really, really, really open up 
to the ultimate. But if we don't even know that it's possible, then we, why would we try? So let's get a little deeper and understand, how do you love God? That's the question. I mean, we're dealing with abstraction of abstraction. The physical world, we know very, very, very close. The physical world is very, very close to our senses. So we can understand in our human relationships that we can love someone. We can even, we can even understand that we can be crazy about someone and have such desire and such love for them. We can understand because they're flesh and blood and we're physical. We can really, 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 really attach ourselves to them. They can be very, very real to our senses and to our emotions. But when you're dealing with God, God, well, well, how, how do I love God? How do I know? So in Tanya, which is the, a manual for love, that's what the Tanya writes in the beginning of his book, his Sefer. He says, I'm going to give you a manual of love. How to serve God. How do you get your heart into Yiddishkeit? That's what the Baal Shem Tov came. All of Hasidus, the Baal Shem Tov came to say to the Jewish people, Rachmana Liba Boya, the Eberster. You see, the idea of practicing Judaism doesn't just happen now. This is going on for the last 500 years that Jews are practicing Judaism. And the Baal Shem Tov didn't like it in his days. And he said, God doesn't want you to practice anything. God wants you to love Him, to bond with Him. Mitzvah means connection. So the Baal Shem Tov said, The Ebishter wants your heart. He wants to feel, He wants you to feel Him in davening. He wants you to cleave, to bond, to sing, to dance, to feel simcha, joy, ecstasy, pleasure, all this... And the Baal Shem Tov opened the heart of the Jewish people and the Hasidim gave Now the Tanya took it all and systemized it. That was the Chiddush. And we want to understand what's the novelty of the Balatanya in the general world of Hasidus. The novelty of the Balatanya was that he systemized it into a system in which a person can, 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 can um, work in a methodical way to build up his relationship with God. So in Tanya, which he writes in his first volume of Tanya, which is a manual in loving Hashem, over there he describes that there's primarily two ways in which one can love God. Number one, we all possess a neshama. And since we possess our neshama, even though I mentioned earlier, we are physical beings, and as a result of that, the spiritual and the godly, and the godly for sure, because godliness is even transcends spiritual, beyond spiritual, and therefore, um, uh, as a physical being, we can't really relate to Hashem enough that we should be able to get excited about Him. But we have to second guess that. Are we really physical beings? No, we're not. We're souls. We are spirits from heaven. Not only spirits, we are sparks of Hashem that have come down in a body. So therefore, to our neshama, to our soul, God is very natural. Because the neshama is of Hashem. Part of Hashem, it's a spark of God. So this that we're saying, whoa, whoa, Hashem is so distant and removed, I don't even know what He is, I don't know how to touch Him, feel Him, smell Him, know Him, I, don't, I can't see Him, hear Him, or relate to Him with any of my senses. Well, our neshama, is, our neshama could. Therefore, the neshama has a natural passion, fervor, fire, fire. Tzamalacha nafshi, David HaMelech says, my soul yearns for you. Our souls have it naturally to love, to burn, to have a consuming love to Hashem. However, it's true that it's, it's the nature of our neshama, but our soul is enclosed in a body. And the body covers and blocks. And as a result of our bodies, we experience ourselves 95% body and maybe 5% soul. 
So then our spiritual uh, awarenesses, our spiritual uh, uh, emotions are not naturally available, accessible to us. So, the, so, the, so the in Tanya he says, one way you can love God is to remove the blockage of your body and uncover your soul. If you will uncover your soul, you don't have to work on loving God, you will love God naturally because your soul loves Hashem already. But he says, it's a, but that's not, he said, but they said that's not a small task. Because to remove the blockages of the body is a monumental task. And it can be a lifetime of work. And you have to really, really, he says, only big tzaddikim. See? I let it let down. And no one to have a letdown. He says, only big tzaddikim master the art of truly loving God in this way because only very big tzaddikim are able to do what's called zichu chachoymer, are able to refine the, the, the corporality and the, 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 the coarseness of the body enough that the body doesn't become any way an obstacle to the neshama. They're living in this world in pure soul consciousness. Their body is totally in the background. That is very great tzaddikim. Most people, this method is not possible. In other words, it's as if you have to remove your body as if your body doesn't exist anymore. In the terminology of other Hasidic Shesvarim, it's called Hispashtus Hagashmias. You have to remove all physicality from you and you live as a spiritual being. Okay, so this is something extremely idealistic. You can try, maybe it'll work for you, but it will take... It's, uh, it's, 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 um, for most people, it's wishful thinking. Then he says, how about the average person? How can an average person love God? So when Tanya introduces the idea that but the, it's based on what the Pasuk says, when you will know in your mind, you will be able to bring it to your heart. In other words, you will use your mind to explore the divine. Once you will become more familiar with God, you will begin to appreciate Him and begin to love Him. So one has to exercise what's called, um, one has to um, um, Practice. I don't want you to use the practice. Take away the word practice. One has to um, um, meditate constantly, because again, the natural we get when we look through our natural observance, we observe the physical reality. We don't observe the spiritual and the godly. But through our mind, our mind is very powerful, and our mind can bring us into an awareness of God. By one meditating on, on Hashem's presence within the world. Obviously there's many levels on this, but where you begin, you start. With a th- simple meditation. And you understand like this. We love, we love things. It's not like there's no love. We, we, we have passion, excitement, and fervor to things. We all love different things. Some of us love food. Others love... I mean, everybody loves food to a certain degree. Others love different... Different, uh, different uh, uh, things in life, art, music, uh, travel, uh, I don't know, all kinds of things. Studying, learning, different, I mean, there's all kinds of exhilarating, pleasurable experiences in life. When one will take into consideration that the world is a lifeless um, corpse, and it has zero life to it, Without and God is the soul of the creation. He animates all of creation. He enlivens the world. He gives it its... So just like we understand that if I love someone, just a simple example, if we love someone very, very dearly, and then their soul, chas v'shalom, departs from their body, and they're a lifeless corpse, so 
we all know that we take that body and we bury it in the ground and we don't say, you know what, I love this person so much, I'm going to keep this corpse around because I love you. The love is gone. I mean, we know this is the, one will go to the cemetery and of their beloved one, but you can't feel that love because you know that the, there's no one home. You know that when it's knock, knock, there's no one there. Because the soul left the body. And a body, a body without a soul is just an empty shell. We all recognize that there is a spirit, there is an inner being to a human being, and the body is just a shell. It's not who the person really is. And if the soul departs from the body, there's nothing to love in the body. So when a person considers that food that I like, why do I like the food? It's the, I like the, 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 the true liking of the food is the sensation that I get of it. But who gives me that sensation? It's the divine energy that's there that gives me the, the sweetness, the tanginess, the sharpness, the, 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 the delight that I'm experiencing. It's from a tiny little, 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 infinitesimally crumb of pleasure that has entered into that physical food. And that's what I'm really enjoying and that's what I'm liking. If I'm amazed by by a beautiful sunset, if I'm watching, if I'm standing and I'm seeing the most gorgeous scenery in the world, magnificent waterfalls, lakes and rivers and streams and mountains, snow-capped mountains, and people love to travel all over the world to Alaska and to here and to, to see the beauty that's out there and they, they're thrilled by the deep pleasure, I have to realize too, what is the underlying reality of all of that? Who's the soul of all of creation? It's God. And when I see Marabu Masecha Hashem, when I see that, and I realize that God is the real power, then, and the real, the real reality of everything, and if He pulls out of it everything, not only will it be dead, it won't even exist. So then really, what am I really loving? If I love music, who is the real, real, real energy of that music? That's Hashem. Hashem is the energy of everything. So therefore, when a person meditates on that, one can come to an appreciation of Hashem, and thereby begin to develop a love not for the external elements, because naturally, without work, the world is deceptive and lying to us. We're see, the world doesn't present itself as if it has a soul, which is Hashem, that's behind it. Hashem did it that way, so we will be, all be tested. But when we think deeper and we penetrate the external shell and we see what is the true energy that's behind everything, then we can bring ourselves to begin to love Hashem. That's what Tanya develops in his book. Use your mind, meditate on. That's what davening is supposed to be. Every day we spend time thinking about how Hashem is the life force behind all of the creation, all of existence, and we begin to love Him. Basically, we extract our love from the world and we directed to the source of the world who really deserves to be loved, which is Hashem. However, there is one thing that he does not state in Tanya, and, and this is where this magnificent discourse that I'm going to share with you tonight, where he fills in. He says, after everything is said and done, if you're using your own meditation and your own mind to create within yourself a true feeling and sensation of the divine, even if you do this daily, and even if you spend hours upon hours on meditating on this and trying to connect to it, you will create emotions. You will suddenly feel a longing, a desire to get close to God. You will feel a sense of awe and, and fear of the almighty being that's the power and the, and, the, and, the, and, the, and the force behind everything that exists, you will feel that. However, he says, it's not going to last and it's not going to really be real. Because after all, do you really, really know Hashem? Can you really fathom 
Hashem, you're using your human experiences, your human um, um, associations, your human perception to experience God. Is it a true love to Hashem? He says, most of the time it will flare up from time to time. You will experience a little excitement. It will go away and your love towards the external shell of existence will return. And we will one day maybe have moments in which we will aspire for the transcendental, for the divine, but it's not going to be permanent and real. Um, it's, it is doomed to fail. He says, to have true, real love of God, it needs to come to you from above. Hashem has to plant His love in your soul. And this is a game changer. What He just reveals to us is so important. What we really need to do is open up our hearts to receive the love that Hashem puts into our neshama. Because God wants us to love, love Him, He nurtures our soul with love. He puts His love into our... And He allows us to love Him. How? Because He makes Himself present in our neshama. And when God enters into your soul, you cannot help but experience the deepest love and, and, and attachment. The emotions are born naturally because divinity, true divinity is sensed in your soul. And he says an amazing idea, an, an unbelievable idea, that just like the physical earth is the source of all food and nutrition to every living being, everything in this world needs to receive its nutrition from the earth, so too, because that's where we live off. You can have all the, you can have a few billion dollars if there isn't a morsel of food, God forbid, you're not going to survive. You need food, and food comes from the earth in the form of all the vegetation or whatever it is. Or even if you're eating animal, animal eats the food, eats the vegetation, and that's what you're surviving. Every bit of nutrition comes from the earth. That's the only way we can survive food from the earth. Just like physically we can only survive through the food from the earth, Spiritually, our souls also need spiritual nutrition and we receive it from the spiritual earth. What is the spiritual earth? And that is the Shekhinah. The mother of all souls is called earth. It's called Aretz. The supernal Aretz. What is, why is the Shekhinah? The Shekhinah is the mother of our souls because as we discussed in many classes in the past that there are ten channels through which God channels His infinite light to the world. These are called the sephirot, the attributes. The last and final channel, the last and final conduit, through which God's energy actually makes its way into the creation, is called the malchus, the attribute of kingship, which is the shechina. Because shochein, it dwells within the world. That shechina, because it's the last level of the divine, in which God is actually planting His energy into the creation, that's why it's called the Aretz, Earth, because it's the, lowest, it's the lowest aspect of the divine. And guess what? The Shekhinah is also the source of all of our neshamas. The Shekhinah is also called Knesses Yisrael, the ensemble of Jewish souls. She's the source of our souls. She's the mother, and just like a mother feeds her children, the spiritual Earth feeds her children, which is all the neshamas. That means that God Almighty, the, the aspect of Hashem called the Shekhinah, channels 
continuously every day to those who seek to be in a relationship with God, the Shekhinah channels into your neshama love of God, fear of God. It's coming from above. And only when you experience this love, Avas Hashem and Yiris Hashem. And again, of course you have to work. But all of our work and all of our toil in meditating is only to create a vessel, only to open ourselves up, only to send a message to the Shekhinah, I am waiting, please send me, please download some love into my neshama. I can sense God and truly love Him, truly connect to Him. But it must come from a, a radiance from above. And this channeling, of God's light into the neshama is called in 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 in, in the pasuk refers to it as it says oir zarua la tzaddik a light is planted for the tzaddik what does it mean a light is planted for the tzaddik the light is the radiance coming from Hashem Himself the oir the oir is the love the love or light Hashem has love that love the oir Hashem plants it where does Hashem plant the love Hashem plants the love in the supernal earth, in the Shekhinah. Again, Hashem takes the Ur, His powerful love for us, He plants it where? In the Shekhinah, which is called earth. And from there, and for what purpose? La Tzadik, who's Tzadik? Tzadik is all of the Jewish souls. Va'ameich kulam Tzadikim. All souls of Israel are called Tzadikim. And Tzadik is the, means you were called tzaddik in Kabbalah. The idea of tzaddik means bonding, to connect. The light is planted in the Shekhinah, la tzaddik, to enable every neshama to bond and connect with its maker and with its creator through its love and its fear. So that's the idea of the light, the, 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 the being put into the arets, into the earth so that we can truly love God with a real love, because we're recipients for the godly light that is descending into our soul, which is called the Ava, the Yira, the love and the fear coming from Hashem to us, from the Shekhinah into our souls. And then and only then could we experience true, lasting and real love. However, in order to activate that, that nutrition, in order to activate that growth, Talking about earth. Earth has the power to give for, let's use the physical earth as an analogy. Physical earth has the has two things. In order for the physical earth to grow, it's earth, it's sand, it's earth. It doesn't, how does it grow? There's two primary causes that cause earth to produce. Number one, something that has nothing to do with us. God planted within the physical earth a what's called the power of vegetation. Hashem put into the earth the power to to, for the earth to give forth vegetation. And it's the biggest miracle of miracles that we see every day, but we're so used to it, so we're not recognizing. It's the very same earth that is giving us such a variation from, ta- from peanuts to watermelons to uh, squash, bananas, potatoes, uh, uh, I don't know, or, or <laughs> Uh, from 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 sugars, sugar cane to uh, ch- chili peppers, the 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 vastness of taste, of richness, of very different types vegetables and fruits and this types of trees and they all cro- I mean, coconut and apples and 
Every kind, it's unbelievable the variations, all coming on the same earth. And God, with His magnificent, infinite wisdom, has enabled that very same earth to create this such variation. That's what Hashem planted in the earth. In addition to that, we need a plant. If you don't plant the seed, you're going to get, the earth does give out some stuff you know, on its own, but really, if you really want to get quality produce, you have to plant. And in planting, there's two parts. You have to sow the seeds, plant the seeds, but in addition to that, you have to first plow the earth so that the earth should be able to receive the seeds and the seeds should germinate in the earth and things should grow. That's what it's required. So let's translate that into the spiritual earth called the Shekhinah, that we are seeking to receive light, the Ur Zeruah. So here's the thing. When God planted in the earth, means God empowered the Shekhinah, the level called Shekhinah, to grow nutrients, all the nutrition, all the vegetation for every neshama, for every soul, from Avram Avinu until the souls of our days today. Every neshama has the right nutrition, the right diet, the right food, and that is comes, that is there in the spiritual earth to, to nurture every single soul. That's what God planted in the Shekhinah. But we need to plant the seeds. What are the seeds? The seeds of the Torah and the mitzvahs that we do. Every time we're studying Torah and we're doing mitzvahs, we are planting seeds in the spirit. Even though our Torah and mitzvah might be very mechanical, our Torah and mitzvah might just be a physical action. I'm putting on tefillin, I'm lighting Shabbos candles, I'm going, doing a kindness, I'm giving tzedakah, I'm helping. It's nice, there's nothing spiritual to it, I'm just doing an act that God commanded me. Yet, that act rises as a seed, it goes up to the Shekhinah, it plants the seed, and guess what? It will reciprocate. And from there, light will come down to illuminate the soul, and we'll see soon, there's conditions to that, in, to enable you to love Hashem with a real true love because it's love coming from above, not human made, it's godly made. And if it's godly made, it's lasting and it's permanent. Now, um, so, what, so what is necessary? Torah mitzvah is the, is, the, is the first thing. The second thing is the earth needs to be plowed, softened. What does it mean? You see, earth itself, because of its... Uh, uh, because of its um, density, um, it's thick and you can't, nothing will grow. You crush it, you break the bigger chunks of earth and you break it down to become soft, then it will grow. What does it mean to understand what this means to cause a softening of the soil of the Shekhinah? What does it mean? Being that the Shekhinah is the mother of our Neshamas, if our hearts are hard, if our souls are stiff, if a person becomes rigid and hard in their own ego, and their own self, if there's lacking of a broken heart, when there is a, just a sense, a smugness of self, it's hard to imagine that, but we cause, our condition causes things in the Shekhinah, causes the Shekhinah soil also to become hard. And then, even when you're doing a mitzvah, the seeds are not being absorbed in its source, and then we can't expect to receive spiritual light, spiritual produce, descending back into our neshama to evig, to enliven us with true, to feel the relationship, to feel the love, it won't happen. So there is, a, there is the idea of a broken heart. That's why you should know that it was a custom by all spiritual seekers, anybody that took their relationship with God seriously, meaning more than just observing Yiddishkeit, those who really, really knew the secret of being a Jew, 
which meant to experience the love, the ecstasy, to be real joyous, to experience real simcha as a Jew, of connection to Hashem, they all knew that they constantly, constantly need to plow their field. You know when they would do it? They would do it every midnight. Jews would wake up in the middle of the night, sit on the floor and weep for the destruction of the temple. What they really were weeping for was the destruction of their own temple. Every Jew is a temple. God is supposed to reside in your heart. If I'm not feeling Hashem in my heart, that's because I became full of myself. That's because there's a hardness. I'm, I'm stuffed with my... So they would do tshuva and they would repent and they would break their hearts until they had a broken heart. And when their hearts were broken, that's when they created that softness. And then when they prayed afterwards, they experienced real connection. If they couldn't do it at midnight, they at least did it once a week. It says Thursday night, one should do tshuva to prepare for Shabbos. This was natural to Jews. Sadly today, you know, we're, we do it once a year, Yom Kippur, if we're lucky. We plow the field a little bit to allow for a little bit of that godliness to take hold. Okay, this is what's necessary. To understand this, however, a little bit better, and a little deeper, and in a richer, the idea is like this. Why is it necessary, truthfully? Why is it really, really necessary for the love and the fear to come from above? And what does it really mean God is giving you love and fear? I mentioned it very briefly earlier, but I didn't dwell on it. I'm going to dwell on it right now. You see, in order for, see, love and fear the two emotions, the primary emotions that a Jew is supposed to have to Hashem. Avas Hashem and Yiras Hashem. By the way, it's not a luxury. It's basic Judaism. It's one of the mitzvahs that we're obligated to have. We have to serve Hashem not just with our actions, we have to serve Hashem with our heart. And that is, we say it every day, love your God. So we're obligated in this. Now, but in in, um, Kabbalah, it's an interesting idea. Love and fear are called children, spiritual children. There is, when a person has a child, there's two types of children. You can have a boy or a girl, two genders, boy or girl. Love is called the boy, and fear is called girl. Isha Yiras Hashem, the woman of fear is God. Love is called, is masculine, um, as it says, Zachar Chastai. It's an interesting play on words, but Chasidus uses it. Simply you would say, Zachar Chasta, he remembers his kindness. Kindness is love. But the deeper meaning is, Kabbalistically, Zachar Chasta, that Chesed, which is love, is masculine, is male. So you have a boy and a girl. Love and fear are called Ben Obas, son and daughter. So these are spiritual children. Now here's the thing, everybody knows, that you can't have a baby unless there is a union between a man and a woman. As a result of the intimacy of a man and a woman, that's when children are produced. So here there's Gavaldic idea. If you want to have real, true children, which means real, true love and fear of God, it requires that you should have an intimacy with Hashem. There has to be a union between Hashem and your neshama. And when there's an intimacy with God and, and the neshama, when both of them become, what does it mean an intimacy? When two, and two separate beings merge together till they become one entity. That means when you, when a person, any person, man or Jewish, Jewish man or Jewish woman, can allow Hashem into their soul to the point where you're so enveloped in God's light that you and God become, you completely tr- are transcending your own s- self-awareness. And you become truthfully, in a very real way, experience the truth of God's existence, Hashem, to the point where He becomes more real to you than you are to yourself. We're going to soon see this is possible to do this during davening. That's the union. Now you and God have now merged together. And in that union, there will be a baby. What are the babies that are born? A boy and a girl. 
you will unattendedly see this is happening mentally in your mind but 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 automatically there will be a child that will be born there will be powerful love you'll feel because the thrill and the, the enjoyment the pleasure of this union automatically creates the love which you don't want to leave go of this ever this is so delicious this is so real this is so true and at that moment you realize the fakeness the shallowness of material existence and how it's not giving you anything this is so real and ms and when this takes place one's, one, 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 the, automatically the love and the fear are, are, are come forth in a real godly way so um, it, 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 let's try to tr- translate a little bit psychologically because obviously we're not talking about a physical union so psychologically it's you see to love to truthfully experience genuine love to your spouse you to love your wife or your wife to love you in a real genuine way you love the other person the love is created from the closeness from the sharing of time together in which you spend and you connect to each other it's if 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 one of the parties husband and wife wants to remain separate completely is lacking in their vulnerability to make themselves vulnerable and to really really enter into a space where you let the other person in and both of you enter into that space and you can really sense the other individual if you don't do that and you want to love the other person because you're good at loving I love, what do you mean? I have love that's not a real love that's selfish, it's not connecting so if I'm loving you and it's all about me loving, what is that? Real love doesn't happen from distance. Real love happens when, as a husband and wife, you spend time together, you're connecting to each other, you talk, you relate, you attach yourself to each other. You Together you create the love. That's when it's a real love. If it's, if it's a, each one sticking and staying in their own space and, and I am projecting love, I will love you, I will, this is the way I love, this is the way I then it's not a relationship. A relationship that is going to disintegrate. The love requires, we share in the experience that will create the love. And together, and the same is with our relationship with God. We can't decide and, and to, to keep God at a distance and from the distance, from within our own neshama, decide that we're loving Hashem. Even based on, I perceive you the way I think I perceive you. Now with God, it's a million times harder than even, even than with a human being. Because a human being, at least you could have some kind of a perception of the other person. But the true perception of the other person is never really real unless you truly experience the other person. For that, you have to create that intimacy to truly know the other person. And when you know the other person intimately, then you really love them. And the love comes from the two of you merging together. So the same is with the Abishter for sure. You can't love him if you're staying stiff in your own place. So you have to allow God into your soul, into your space, for Him to pervade your consciousness. And the two, you and Hashem, merge, at, for at least even if it's just for a few moments, in that, in that blissful reality, then the love and the fear that are born will be real. They'll be true godly children. They have, they have, it's a mixture of you and Hashem together creating the love and the fear. Awesome, unbelievable idea. He says, this is the deeper meaning of va'avadetem es Hashem Elokeichem. We asked before, you will serve God. What does that mean? God doesn't need anything. So he translates the va'avadetem es Hashem Elokeichem totally different. Not you will serve God, but va'avadetem, you should work very hard. Hear this. Va'avadetem, you should work very hard as Hashem Elokeichem. That Hashem, the Yudkei Vavkei, which is the tetragrammaton, which is God's true self, 
that he should become Elokeichem, he should become your power, meaning he should reside in your neshama, that you should feel you should, as if you're seeing him. Obviously, it takes a lot of work. It takes meditation. One has to realize that there is, one has to meditate on the idea that there is the name of Elohim, and that's the power of God that is invested within the creation, where God limits and contracts Himself to the creation. Yudke Vavke is the transcendence of God. The word Yudke Vavke means hoya hoya past, present, and future together. One realizes that God is totally beyond time and space, totally beyond all limitation and boundaries. And all of creation is floating in God's infinite power and infinite light, and to Hashem, all of creation is as if it never happened. It's so nullified and so nothing. And if one meditates on the truth of Yudke Vavke, guess what? Yudke, at a certain point, Yud, your neshama opens up, and the Yudke Vavke is sensed literally within your soul. And when the Yudke Vavke is sensed within your soul, which means God is sensed within your soul, that's the union. And that's va'avadatem. You should work hard. It's not easy. It takes a lot of labor and a lot of work to one to be able to pick themselves up from the here and the now. First of all, to shut down all the distractions. I'm closing the whole world down. Nothing is going to bother me. I'm going to meditate now. I'm going to think deeply in what's really real and how everything that I know experience is all locked in limitations of time and space. But you got to beyond uh, time and space. And all of existence is not in your infinite light and your presence everywhere. It's just that we're oblivious to you. But right now... I'm going to open up my soul and hopefully I beg you, Hashem, to allow your light to shine into me so I can truly experience you. That's the union. And when that happens, whoa. So you'll say, what do you mean? Who are we to experience the Ain Sof? The infinite? The answer is, you're a Jew. You are the recipient. God created you to be a vessel for His light. The Jewish people are called Kois. Knesset Yisrael, the Jewish people are called Kois. Yeshua, as David HaMelech says about himself, David HaMelech is the source of all of our neshamas. He's the Shekhinah. We know he corresponds to the level of Malchus. David HaMelech says, Kois Yeshua is Esau. I raise a cup of salvation because the Jewish people, all of our souls are a cup. What's a cup? A cup is a vessel where you can put water in. Our neshama is a vessel which, in which God's truth can manifest and register it. But we need to be able to let him in. Or we let him in. And Kois Yeshua, it's there naturally to our neshama. When vavadetem es Hashem elokeichem, when you will work hard and allow that Hashem, the yutke vavke, that generally is totally outside the experience of all creatures and all creatures. See, a non-Jew can't experience the transcendental of the yutke vavke. The non-Jew can recognize God, but only know God's name Elohim. The, the limited expression of God in the creation, but not the true infinite because he's not a vessel. He's not a container. He's not meant to be God's wife. So Hashem will not reside in him. He won't have an intimacy with his neshama. But to you, because you're Jewish, we have the ability for Hashem, you will work as Hashem, that Hashem, Elokeichem, should manifest and shine completely in your neshama. What happens then? Then the Pasuk is promising you, you will not have a situation of a woman who's losing her children, which is referring to before someone, because if, again, if we're not receiving the love from God as a result of our intimacy with Hashem, but it's coming as a result of our own, we want, we want to be 
uh, we, in other words, it's coming from within our own experience. I want to meditate and create the love with, from within my own experience and not allow Hashem in to help me create that together. So then, chas v'shalom, there is such a situation called mishakela. Mishakela is when the babies that either are, 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 are miscarried or even if they're born, the children are born, they die young. What does it mean? We spoke about it earlier. You experience an emotion. Sometimes we work, we dive in, we're trying, and we create some kind of a stirring in the heart, and then it miscarriage. It doesn't last. Or even if it's created, but it's created, it lasts for a day, for an hour, and so, and it's gone. It's not there anymore. You know, you wonder, how is it that the word tzaddikim, and this is a real, real question. We read about the great Hasidic masters, Reb Zusha of Anapali, Reb Lamelech of Lazensk, the Kedusha Slavi, Reb Levi Yitzchak of Bardichev, the Holy Balatanya, these are tzaddikim, Reb Yisrael of Ruzhin, you read about these tzaddikim. I've been, I've been reading a lot of stories lately about them. And I, it's so, you know, you know, you know what, what, what you wonder, you say, how, what made that these people were turned on and they were never turned off? Their entire life, nonstop, of one continuous love life with Hashem, burning every day with Mesira Snefesh, willing to die, letting the Shama almost expiring out of their ecstasy and love and trembling in fear in front of Hashem. How is it that, it's per, that it was permanent? It didn't, it didn't stop. It wasn't like, okay, one day they were, they were spiritual. It was all the time, and the answer is because they experienced that intimacy that we spoke about before. Because Hashem registered in the neshama, and then the love and the fear that's produced lasts a lifetime. So the Pasik is saying, There will not be a meshakela. Meshakela is a woman who loses her children. That will not be. Va'akara is even a worse state. What's akara? Akara is a barren woman. She's a woman who hasn't even... Akara is a woman that, that, that can't even have a child to begin with. That's a situation, sadly, which someone who can't even begin to produce an emotion is someone who's given up on any kind of feelings in his Yiddishkeit. One whose Yiddishkeit is totally dry. There's no feeling at all. That's called Akara. And Hashem is saying, you will not have that. Why? Because the only reason you do have that, hear this, what he says, a very deep, is because you're trying to create these children in your land. Instead of receiving it from my land, up there from the Shekhinah. Instead of allowing the light of Shekhinah to radiate in your neshama to create real emotions. The reason why we're not experiencing is because it's our tzecha, your own feelings, your own emotions. Your own experience, your one, and you're, you're staying locked up in yourself. Of course you can't experience a true emestiga feeling for God, because it's Artsecha. See, the Artsecha is the reason why there would be chas v'shalem, a mishakela, a woman who loses her children, Akari, you can't have any children to begin with. Why won't you have that? Because vavadatem es Hashem you'll have an intimacy with God. And then it's not going to be received. You're not going to be producing the love in your land. You're going to be producing the love in the land of the Shechina, in Artsay Sachayim, in the lands of life. But then he goes on to explain something so much deeper. He says, let's analyze a little better the idea of what means Akara. You see, um, um, I'm sorry, Imenu, the sages say she was a barren woman. The sages say she was so barren, she didn't even have a womb. The miracle of Sarah having a baby was afilu beis vlad einla, even a womb she didn't have. She didn't have any, she couldn't possibly have it. It's not that she, she didn't conceive, she didn't ovulate or whatever. She just did not have a womb. She couldn't have a child. That's, the, that's Akara. 
And spiritually, the, ba- the Alter Rebbe, the Balatanya tells us in this Maimar, it's possible a situation where a person is, has, doesn't even have the basic spiritual capacity to be able to experience any bit of godly light. We said earlier that the neshama is a vessel. Every neshama is meant to be a home, a, 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 the wife of Hashem, a place where God can be intimate with. And it's possible the person is, is totally not a vessel. Why? Because they don't even have a womb. What does that mean? So we used before the analogy of a cup. Knesset Yisrael is a cup. A cup can only receive if it has a hollow space inside. The cavity of the cup, the empty space in the cup, that's where it's receiving. So, the, so the, 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 he says the real meaning of an akara is someone that has such a clogged brain and such a clogged heart that there's no space for God to enter his or her space at all. And very, very sadly, he says, you know what the reason is? The reason is because when a person is stuck up with his, his or her own ego, and it doesn't mean someone is boastful or thinks that they are, you know, they're Napoleon or they're you know, Donald Trump and you know, they run the whole world. I'm not talking about that. I'm not talking about a super big, fat, uh, big, you know, uh, uh, despicable ego. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about, I'm not, I'm not talking about anything. I'm just telling you what it says in the book here. He's talking about a situation where a person, and let me read you the words because I don't want to even say it myself. I just want to tell you what the words are. Is the only way you can contain anything godly is if you're an empty vessel. Masha Enkin, leave these words. If someone occupies space to himself, the nechshav ba'atzmai liyesh, and a person see, conceives himself as a something, I'm an entity. That's why the person is busy with his own desires. Loimar saying, Kach ani rotsa, this is what I want. The Kach toivli, and this is what's good for me. The Zeini Yochelasas, this I'm not able to do. Everything. I don't like doing that. Oh, I love that. That's my thing. That's my kind of thing. That's my, my, the, the my and the I and the my and the I. Oh, I can't do that. You can ask me for anything, but that I can't do. It's just not my nature. It's not my type of thing. Nothing wrong. People are, uh, we're, we're, we're in a culture which this is, this is, this is life. Everybody's into I, I can't, I want, I this. This is my taste. This is my kind of thing. He says, exactly that, that's the clipper. If the space is filled with eye, God can't enter. So one has to hollow out the eye. And he says later, he adds, he says, you should know that this is found by everybody. Don't think it's only by, 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 by maybe coarse people. He says, it's to be found, people that are business people, or people who study Torah all day long. We're talking about a, a disease, a, 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 an illness that's there by rabbis as well. It doesn't have to people who study Torah all day long, but they're still stuck in their own existence. In the I, I, I like learning this. I like learning that. This is not my mitzvah. This is my kind of thing. This I agree with. This is my opinion like this and my opinion like that. A person is caught up in his own being. There's no space for God to enter. And therefore, what do you do when the chas v'shalom, that, that's called there's no womb. There's no womb. And then chas v'shalom, when one tries to learn something spiritual, something chassidus a little deeper, it just doesn't even go into the mind. The mind doesn't receive it. The heart definitely doesn't conceive it. And there's no space for Hashem to enter. Rahman al-Islam is the most horrible situation. So he says, well, what do you do? So if there's no vessel, so you need to take a hammer and hammer out the space. 
You have to bang it and bang it until it becomes hollow, which means a person has to bang the eye. And every time he says, I want, I this, he says the opposite. I'm going to do the exact opposite than what I want. This is uncomfortable to me, I'm going to do exactly what I'm uncomfortable with. This is what I like doing, I'm not going to do that. If this is a mitzvah that I don't like doing, I'm definitely going to do that. It's the constant banging of that eye. And the more someone bangs and tzebrekels, like you say, tzetzes that eye, the more the space. And now the person becomes a vessel for divinity to register within his soul. Then he adds one more thing. Even after the cup is already a bro- has a hollow space, because one has brought himself to deep bittle and nullification, he says even more, a person should break himself by feeling, not just doing the opposite you will, he says that the idea of knowing that I'm the lowest person around, because by, by me filling myself with my own ego, I'm the most despicable entity in the world, because what am I, a little tiny peepsqueak, existing in a fraction of second of time and space, and I'm full of myself, Am I, is, that most, is that the most insane, ludicrous, silliest, I was going to use another word, thing, it's insane. Yet I'm still walking around thinking that I'm who knows what. That, that is, 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 when one considers that, one becomes heartbroken. And that breaking of the heart and realizing how insanely foolish we, we are when we do that, we get a broken heart to become humbler than any person alive in this world. To feel that I'm lower than anybody. That, in a real way, that begins to create a vessel. He says, but once there's a vessel, that's still not enough. Because, you know, when they're serving wine, even if it's a cup, if you have a wine, if you come to a, a uh, what is it called, a uh, wine connoisseur, and you come to them with a cup, and the cup had, be- you were drinking beer, and now you're putting out the beer cup to receive a glass of beer to receive wine, they're not going to give it to you. Because a fine wine is going to be ruined in a cup that had beer inside of it or had uh, something else if you had lemonade in the cup. Or even anything. Even if you had one wine and they're serving you a different wine. So what are they going to do? Either they're going to wash out the, the glass with water so to be clean or they'll give you a whole new glass. You're drinking fine, pairing up wines with different food. They'll bring you a different glass for each wine because it's a different taste. God doesn't pour the wines of, of holiness, the wines of godliness if the cup is all sticky and if it has all kinds of other stuff and that's why it's important to wash out the cup as it says we know before we bench before we pour in the wine you're supposed to rinse the cup we need a rinsing it's after the, after the crushing of the ego one still needs to rinse the cup just like a woman in order for her to become purified for a husband he can't be intimate with her as long as there's still blood in the womb which means if there is still something there that doesn't belong, some kind of impurity, then there can't be an intimacy. Which means in our lives, it means that as long as I'm still, I don't want to give up on my pleasures and my delights, I feel like I can have God as one of the things that I have in my life. I love this, and I love that, and I love this, and I have all the things that are very, very dear to me, and one of the things that I have in my life is also spirituality and a connection with God. It's wonderful and good, and it's good for California, and it's good for Hollywood. It's not good, and it's not real for a true relationship with God. For a true relationship with God, it's either or. One has to be willing to rinse their cup out from attachment. Doesn't mean that one doesn't engage in, doesn't mean you become a hermit. Doesn't mean that you leave drop eating and drinking and sleeping and then you live, no, 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 you can live a regular life, 
but without passion and obsession. One drops the obsessions with everything and becomes obsessed with only one thing and one thing only, and that is your relationship with Hashem. Then you become a vessel for Hashem to really pour His light into your soul. And once Hashem's light comes into your neshama, then one can have true children. The real meaning. There's a lot more that's discussed in this discourse, which we don't have any time. I just want to conclude to answer the questions that we answered, asked before. Then he continues and he says, As mispar yamecha amale, the, the number of your days I will fill, means like this. The Zohar says that a person should, the Zohar says that a person, um, on the Pasuk, Avram zakein baba yamim, that Avram aged, and he came in his days, the Zohar says that coming in your days means that you bring all your garments. You didn't lose any day in your life. And the Zohar says that throughout your life, every day, God gives us, Yamim Yitzaru, God gives us days of life because every day you're supposed to do a mitzvah. When you do a mitzvah in every day of your life, meaning more important that every day should have one mitzvah than ten mitzvahs in one day. The reason is, because God gives us days and every day becomes a garment for your soul if you did a mitzvah on that day. Truth is, every minute of your life should be taken preciously. But really, it's every day. And the Zohar says about Avram Avinu that he didn't miss one day. In the end of his life, he had all the garments he needed. Why do we need garments? And the idea is based on what we had spoken about before. If God is infinitely big and we are infinitesimally small, he is infinite and we're finite. If we're going to have an intimacy with Him, we're going to crash in that union. He's going to destroy us completely in His love. How can we survive and remain intact even though we're experiencing emergence literally with God? For that we need to have special clothing, special garments. We need to have special power, power garments which are the Torah and mitzvahs which allow the intimacy to take place in a way that it will not shred the neshama in that light. That's what the mitzvahs are. The Torah mitzvahs are called levushim. The mitzvahs that we do every day in our life. That's called your days. So hear the depth of what, what the Pasuk is saying. God is saying like this. The mitzvahs themselves that are called your days, your mecha, your days, you need to do that. You need to provide the mitzvah. You do the mitzvah, God says, every day make sure to bring the day as a garment. But as mispar yamecha, mispar means the radiance of the day. Meaning the light, the godly light that's going to go into that garment, that's not your business, that's what I'm going to put into it. The love coming from above, we spoke earlier, that's going to be channeled into your neshama through the mitzvah, that's God's department. That's what the word mispar means shining from the word sapir. Sapir means shining and, and brightness. Es mispar, the shining, the brightness, the radiance, yamecha of the mitzvahs that you do, you do. Amale, I'm going to fill, God says. That's not your business. You do the mitzvahs. You do the mitzvahs and I will fill them with my grace and with my light. And the other thing Hashem says to us, the same is also on the other part that God is responsible for. He says, I will remove an illness from amongst you. What does that mean? Quickly and briefly. What does it mean I will remove an illness? Which illness are we talking about? A singular illness? So here's a very deep thing. You see, we spoke about before crushing the ego, breaking out of self, to allow ourselves to become a vessel for God to reside in us. 
But we can only do that to a certain degree. There is always going to remain a little bit of self-awareness at the core, core, because the human being was infected and polluted by the venom of the snake. When Adam, when Chava encountered the snake and he had a conversation with her, he injected her with self-consciousness and self-awareness. That's why the Gemara says that there are four people who died for no other reason but for the et yoishal nachash, the venom of the snake. There were four, I mean, most people die because they have some kind of sin that they did. But there were four people in history that didn't have any sin. They were impeccable. I'll tell you who they are. The Gemara says, um, the first one is Binyamin, the son of Yaakov. Binyamin didn't have any sin. The second one is Amra, Moshe Rabbeinu's father. The third one is Yishai, David HaMelech's father. And the fourth one is David HaMelech's son, Kla'ev. Four people. They never sinned. The only reason they died was because of the human condition. What's the human condition that killed them? It's the little bit of impurity that was injected and it's at the core, at the center of a human being and that is what? The feeling of self that does not allow you to perfectly experience the divine. When Chava ate from the tree of knowledge, what does it say? She was consumed with her feeling. She said, she saw the tree that it looks delicious. She, it sm- the, the, the Torah goes through all the senses. She got consumed with what she wants she lost sight of God's, what God wants, and it became about her. That core sense of self-centered, self-centeredness went into the human being and it's there. We cannot remove that. We can, we can diminish it, but we can't remove it completely. That's the illness that's at the core. That's death. And that's rooted deep, deep, deep in the sub, sub, sub consciousness of every human being. Vasiroisi, the Eberster says, you will do whatever you can, eventually, Vasiroisi, I will remove machla, the illness, that's the illness. The illness of self-awareness, which disconnects us from absolute truth. Mikrbecha, when Mashiach will come, we will live without that. We will be so open to truth, to be able to experience without that blockage of the narrowness of self. And we will have a complete and perfect relationship with Hashem. True, what I spoke about today is beyond and above most of our aspirations. But as we mentioned, we are so close to Mashiach right now, we should at least be aware of what we ought to be striving for and what we should start at least trying to activate within our soul. Because mamish, mamish, very, very momentarily we will experience this of God will fill all of our mitzvahs that we've done fill it with his with mispar with his sapir with his light with his radiance he will remove that self-awareness from us and he will allow for the ultimate and, and absolute absolute intimacy of Hashem Elokechem that Yudke Vavke should be your God we will all be vessels for his light we will experience the true 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 Vishachanti Besocham the dwelling of God in each and every one of us. May we merit to see that now.
ಮಾತಾಗಿ ಮಾತಾಗಿ 